This is a CNA podcast. Doors are closing. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Work It. I have a disclaimer to make right off the bat. I'm a fan of our guest today, especially his posts online and his excellent speeches. What's interesting is I actually share the same name as him. Adrian Tan Gim Hai is a name familiar to many. He is the Law Society President and Partner at TSMP Law Corporation. But many of you may remember him as the author of the Teenage Textbook as well as the Teenage Workbook. Which, at the risk of revealing my age, I read and I loved as did many generations of 18-year-olds. Adrian has been in the news again recently and this time for more sobering reasons. He revealed he had cancer and has said he will continue working through his treatment. So we want to get his views on a few things. Quiet quitting, leadership and life lessons. What he would do if he were really king of Singapore. Thanks, Adrian Tan, lawyer, (laughs) for joining us on the pod today. Oh, I'm very excited, Crispina. And I'm also excited to be with your co-host. I forgot his name. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a familiar name. You're right. This is the first time, Crispina. Your co-host is Adrian Tan. Your guest is Adrian Tan. And I want to say, on behalf of all Adrians everywhere, every Adrian is a good Adrian. Okay, I believe you. Because the two Adrians I know now, they are good Adrians. (laughs) Okay, let me start. So first, I wanted to ask you how you're doing because you've been in the news recently. We know that you were named president of the Law Society in January. And then in March, you've got your diagnosis. So in a space of just two months, your entire world must have kind of changed. So this is a thing about life, work and about planning. Mm. Last year, I was working like a dog. I was barely sleeping. And I said, well, in 2022, I'm going to do even more I plan to become President of Law Society of Singapore. I've got so many plans and I'm going to sleep only two hours a night because I'm going to be working as a lawyer and as President of the Law Society. Wow. Two hours a night? Was that what you were averaging? That was my plan for this year, 2022. And then I decided, okay, we'll go for it. And January and February, I just went at 100 miles an hour. Mm. And then I felt, oh, I'm really feeling very down. I'm feeling very exhausted. I went to see the doctor. The doctor says, well, guess what? You have cancer. Mm. And it's not a regular NTUC fair price type cancer. Okay. It's a very rare cancer that, very exclusive. Lah. So I don't know whether to feel happy or sad. He said that I need to get chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And he said I needed two things, which is, to rest a lot and not to have stress. Now, in my life, it's the opposite. Yeah. I hardly rest and I have stress all the time. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't sure how I was going to manage. All my friends, very nice to me, they gave me this advice. Drop everything. Do your bucket list. Mm. Because they're my friends, I listen to them and think, okay, let me do my bucket list. And I realized to my horror, I don't have a bucket list. What I was doing as a lawyer was my bucket list. Wow, okay. As president of Law Society was my bucket list. So mm. I didn't have an urge to see the Sahara Desert mm. or to go scuba diving. I just wanted to keep doing what I was doing. And my friends all said, look, you have to stop working. 
this is a time where you got to relax, enjoy, and chill. And again, I tried that for about six to twelve hours. Six to. And then I gave up because it's like really shortish. I know it wasn't a great experiment, but I can't sit around for six to twelve hours and do nothing. Mm. And that got me to my identity, and I believe each of us has an identity. And my identity is to do stuff, and to speak up, and to meet people, and I can't change that identity. And I think that's the first error that people make. Sometimes they read books, they listen to podcasts, and they think this is how I need to change.、Mm. And before we even think about changing, we have to figure out what's the essence of us, what's our identity, what makes us us. So for me, it's someone who. Goes at 100 miles an hour and has a lot of stress. And if I have cancer, too bad for the cancer、okay. because it has to take a number. Just <laughs> sorry, cancer. Normal people give you a lot of priority. Yeah, it's like screw you, cancer. I'm just gonna keep going. I guess it's probably very bad. Medical advice. So anybody out there? Yes, I think your doctor might not approve. Actually, and we are not giving medical advice here. So very good disclaimer. I can give legal advice. But if you hear medical advice from me, please do the opposite. Okay. So right now, I'm still having treatment. To my horror, I've lost all my hair.、Uh, but you still look great, actually. You're so polite. <laughs> <laughs> and I've started going out to meet people, to give speeches,、mm-hmm. to attend、mm-hmm. events, and that's it. If I wasn't president of law society, I wouldn't tell anyone that I have cancer. It's just my luck. That it's happened this year of all years. Yeah, it's a message I feel like the universe is trying to send you that you should slow down, but you're telling the universe, "No, I'm not going to slow down. That's just not me." Yes, and I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing,、mm. but I know only I can't do the opposite. Yeah, and there are lawyers who have cancer. In fact, once I wrote about this, I received so many messages from lawyers as well as from. People who are working in other jobs and they tell me about their experiences with cancer. They're mostly cancer survivors because、mm. the dead people can't message me except during seven months. <laughs> But that's a different thing. A lot of inspirational messages. That's whole group of people who have won this battle.、Mm. Lawyers who have gone to court in the midst of chemotherapy to argue cases for their clients. I think they all say the same thing that、mm. if you're in a vocation, which means if your job is your calling. If this is what you're meant to do, it's part of your identity. Then it's impossible to give it up. It's like asking you to let go of your arm or your leg. Right. I think this resonates with a lot of audience out there in Singapore, especially given studies have shown that we are one of the hardest working population. Many people they don't just work to live; they basically live to work. I've even seen a very funny meme about how European would set their out of office. Message. It will be something like, "Oh, I'm going away for a three months cruise. We'll be back in September. We'll reply to your email then." Versus how an Asian or maybe a Singaporean will put it, "Oh, I'm in intensive care unit, but reachable by handphone." <laughs> I love it. So, does it have to come down to something so serious before we really confront our attitudes and culture to work? And also, why do you think we are all seem to be so Type A personality, trying to chase whatever next dragon in front of us? Well, you can call it a Type A personality. I call it a Type S personality. S for Singaporean. We have this history. We came here to work. Gradually, traders came, business people came, and they left their own homes not because they wanted to find a relaxing life, 
We actually have immigrant forefathers who came here because they wanted to work, because they wanted to build something for their family. So when you select a group like that, and you ask them to come to one place, and you concentrate and focus them into this hub, this is actually a collection of hardworking people from China, from India, from everywhere. And you put them all here, and it's a social experiment. They will just inspire each other to do more and more stuff. We make fun of ourselves. That's the thing about Singaporeans. We know ourselves very well, and we can't let go of work. And many outsiders criticize us for that because they feel that their way is the best way. That there should be a lot of time spent fishing or relaxing or seeing the world. And maybe they're right,、mm. but it's not our identity. Who are our heroes? If you look at Singapore, we don't have these war heroes that won big battles, or civil rights heroes that march in the streets. So our heroes tend to be—it's <laughs> kind of weird—business tycoons or workaholics, basically. That's right. <laughs> that's right. If you see who our streets are named after, they'll be like prosperous business people. Adrian, I feel like nothing clarifies what you really, really care about in life when you face your own mortality. I've heard this from people who have had cancer diagnosis, and they say work is the last thing I'm going to care about.、Mm. I'm really going to quit, travel,、mm. do all the things because I've always just worked. Now that I have a chance, I would do it. I feel like the way you approach it is quite different from the norm. Like what I would do, for example, <laughs> I think I'll quit first. If you do something different, if you quit, that's great as well. So long as it is what you want.、Mm. My fear is that sometimes we follow other people's templates. Right. In Singapore, we're great for templates. Even before children are born, parents have already got the template out and said, "Once my child is born, my child will go to this preschool, that、mm. primary school at this age. My child will graduate at this age, go into the army at this age, have a university degree at this age, get a job at this age, get married at this age, get children at this age, retire." And、mm. there is、mm. a whole template that somebody else did for you. Right. So if you stop working, if you have a diagnosis of cancer. Or if you just retire, do the thing that you want to do. The danger is that we blindly adopt somebody else's template, and it's especially important in Singapore because Singapore is a very didactic or top-down society. We are very comfortable with authority telling us do this, do that. This is good for you. That's good for you.、Mm. And sometimes I feel we also need to develop the other instinct of I need to know myself. So when I had this diagnosis, I realized what I really wanted to do was to write a lot, because I wanted to tell Singaporeans a lot of stuff about、mm. law, about society,、right. about our history,、mm. about what I think about issues. Hi, I'm Stephen Chia, and I host the new season of our podcast, Heart of the Matter. Join me in getting right to the heart of the headlines as we speak with experts and newsmakers to delve deep into the most talked-about news developments. Look out for our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And on the opposite spectrum, of course, what you have been going through as a so-called Type S personality is something that has been trending online recently a lot, which is called quiet quitting. Oh, which, in my opinion, is basically a new term for something that we've been seeing for the longest time. <laughs> and it started with a 25-year-old software engineer who posted a TikTok video saying that he's quitting the idea of going above and beyond at work. 
So there's some confusion about what it all really means. Some people say it legitimizes disengagement, laziness at work. Obviously, you're not someone who does the bare minimum. What is your take on this aspect? We must stay true to our identity. The person who is quiet quitting is actually saying that this job is not his life, it's not his vocation, it's not his calling. Mm. And I can totally relate to that. If I was in a dead-end job, something which does not inspire me, I would quiet quit too, or I would noisy quit. (laughs) The point really is that I wouldn't like it. So if people are saying they are doing the minimum, Mm. what I'm hearing is that they're saying they are not a good fit for their job. And they need to find a better fit. I would recommend that if people feel like quiet quitting, then they must listen to their bodies, listen to their soul and say, okay, I obviously don't like this. So what am I here for? Some common answers will be, I'm here to pay the mortgage Mm. because I want financial security. I want to provide for my family. And that's my goal. In that case, that's fine. That's perfectly legitimate. You are just trading your time for financial security for your family. And that's quite a selfless and noble thing. In Asia, we prize that. Mm. What I don't like is people who are not interested to find their real passion. Right. They feel that this is life. The man pays me. So I got to sit here and watch the clock. And the moment it's five, I'm not going to answer my emails. Mm. I think that's a waste of person's life. I was just going to follow up and ask you, I'm sure in your career you have worked with people like that who just only do the bare minimum or if you ask them, hey, can you help me with this? And then they'll be like, no, 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 it's already 5.30, I got to go. And then or they switch off their phones over the weekend. Does it annoy you? Or do you just accept it as, hey, that's who he is? Yes, I have indeed met such people. In our job, which is litigation, It's a very competitive environment. So if you have that attitude, you won't last long Mm. because Mm. you'll be a terrible litigator. People will see you as doing the minimum, which means that they can outfight you, they can outlast you, they can win by not being smarter, but just working harder. Mm. Mm. Actually, working hard is not rocket science. And if people don't even want to do that, then I think they will be taken advantage of. The person who is quiet quitting may think, oh, I'm taking advantage of my boss. I'm just doing the bare minimum. Mm. But in fact, maybe your boss is taking advantage of you because your boss knows, okay, this person is a robot. I just pay this amount and this person will produce this. It may not be great, but this person is not ambitious. I don't have to worry about that. Mm. Other people will Mm. compete and rise above this person. Is that what we want? I don't get that at all. Mm-hmm. So in other words, it's quite obvious la, if you are a quiet quitter in that negative way rather than somebody who just feels like their workload is too much and they will only do this much. There's a difference la, and it's a discernible difference. You can tell. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. If your workload is too much, the first thing you have to do is you have to tell your boss because that's your responsibility to yourself. Yeah. You have to speak up for yourself and say, boss, This is just too much. And the danger is that Mm. give me so much stuff, I'm going to drop the ball on something because no human being can do all this. If I drop the ball, that's a problem for you. Mm. So why don't you fix it? And if your boss doesn't fix it, then you fix it by looking to leave and go elsewhere because it's a great job market right now. Mm. I'm hearing that there are employers looking for talent Mm. and it's quite hard to find talent, not just in the legal industry, But generally, all employers are saying, well, young people nowadays, we need to really entice them to come and do this. We need to give them flexible hours, more pay, more recognition. 
We've never had this in Singapore, as far as I can remember. Right. So for young people right now, if you're in a dead-end job, it's your fault. Oh. Because there's so many opportunities out there. Do just look. And if you don't want to look, that's on you. Yeah. So the message to our audience out there, if you want to quit, don't quiet quit, just quit. That's right. Yes. Because as Adrian, our guest here has mentioned, it is really a fantastic employees market right now. Of course, having said that, for people who may find something that they really enjoy and really aspire to get into, would it also then lead into a situation where it's something that you have experienced over the past few years, which is again going all out 100 kilometers per hour? It seems like trying to strike the balance in between appears to be very, very challenging with the benefit of hindsight. What else do you think people can take note of when it comes to approaching work? Do they have to really overcompensate or undercompensate? Is there a middle ground or is there something else that is missing here? So what I learned is that there isn't a universal formula. Mm. We have to find our own balance. Maybe it's not even in terms of hours spent. It's probably in terms of mind share. How much mind share do you devote to your professional life? How much mind share do you devote to your family? Mm. And how much mind share do you devote to yourself? So a lot of times people think, if I don't work, then I have a chance to live my life. That's the origin of the work-life balance. But I don't think it's that simple. The hours that you spend not working, what do you really do? Do you spend all the time watching Netflix? Mm. Do you spend the time, for example, exercising or investing in your health? Or do you spend all your time with your family? I suspect that if we look at our lives, certainly my own life, when I'm not working, sometimes I'm not doing anything. And I'm not doing anything, not in a healthy way, but I'm just not doing anything. Mm -hmm. So oddly enough, the time I spent at work is probably the most constructive and productive part of my life. Right. And you're right, Crispina, when you say having cancer sort of clarifies. Because it makes me think, okay, let's say I die tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And this used to be a frivolous sort of thought experiment. Let's say I die tomorrow. But now it's becoming not a thought experiment anymore. It could be a bit more real. Let's say I die soon. Am I going to treasure all the time I spend watching Netflix? Duh, to an extent. Maybe all the time I spend playing computer games or eating. But you know and I know that's not going to matter, right? right? We're going to think about our relationships, the time we spend with our loved ones, the time we spend helping people, achieving something, and leaving something behind. But I think everyone has a chance to make good relationships. And every relationship is a monument to your life mm. and it's something that enriches the people that you come in contact with so if you don't want to spend time working i can totally understand it right. don't think of it in a negative sense of i'm not working think of it in a positive sense of i'm doing x y and z mm. so it boils down to really your attitude to work it's okay to love work and work to be the main thing in your life. It's okay. People shouldn't cancel you for that, right? It's just that, especially when I see young lawyers online, wow, they really glorify this fact that they have gone on three hours of sleep and they're burning the midnight oil. So I'm just wondering if we are glorifying work without really considering the effects it has on people. Your wife, has she ever complained about you not paying attention to her because you've been so busy? So that's a great point, Crispina. We'll start with the young lawyers first. And generally young people saying, I worked very hard, I hardly slept, and I was all out doing something. 
my response is, we must let young people be young. Mm. This is their first taste out in the world of doing something that matters. It's no more just taking exams and getting a high mark mm. and then moving on to the next stage. That's all theoretical. Right. When you get into the working world, you're dealing with human beings, you're dealing with consequences. Mm. And suddenly, if you sleep too much, if you don't do your job, someone else will suffer. Mm. Then you discover this fire inside that says, okay, now everything matters. All hands on deck. Right. Work and push and be part of a team and have a united goal and struggle. Right. And when you're young, it feels great and awful at the same time, <laughs> which is why you want to talk about it. And in response to your question, Crispina, does my wife say, oh, you're spending too much time on your work, you're not responding to me? Yes, yes, I guess so. Mm. And I have to be sensitive to that. Yeah. And I have to work hard on that as well. Right. And that's a balance that we all have to look. Yeah. Because we're not just one person, right? Mm. You are a lawyer, president of the law shop, but also husband, right? So mm. you kind of have to confront your different identities. Not just have to, but want to. Mm. I want to spend more time with my wife. Right. I want to spend more time writing. I want to spend more time to meet other lawyers mm. and to advocate for them in the public sphere. And I want to spend more time fighting my cases because I believe that my cases are very important. Right. So it's like you're at a buffet mm. and you want to eat this starter and you want to eat that. <laughs> you still have to save time for dessert. You know that feeling, Crispina? Yes, of course. I always save time for yeah, dessert. Great, right? <laughs> yes. So nobody says to you at the buffet, you have to eat the dessert. And then you say, ah, what a drag. I have to force myself to eat this. It's not like that. It's like, oh, I still want to eat. Look at that cake. Look at that. Laksa. I want it all. And this is the feeling I have. And right. I believe this is the feeling many of us have. When we look at the buffet of life, mm. we want this dish. We want that dish. No one's actually on our back. Hi, my name is Julie Yu. And I'm the host of the new season of The Climate Conversations. From chefs to scientists, join me as we get personal with the people driving change in sustainability. Look out for our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. I think one of the things that a lot of, especially young lawyers, I am seeing a lot more on LinkedIn, perhaps taking a leaf from what you have been doing more recently, is as what Crispina mentioned about the kind of hustle culture that they go through. We all know for a fact that the attrition rate within the legal profession is very high. In fact, all high-intensity job is very high. As a president of law society and also being in a leadership position for so long, do you think there are things that leaders can do like going back to your buffet example, how can we play a part to tell them, hey, I think too much already, the lobster is going to fall off the plate. <laughs> Things are going to happen, accident is going to happen. What are some of the advice we have for the young people out there to better manage their buffet plate? Oh, that's a great point. So the first thing that everyone has to know is that this is their personal buffet. So they have to stop listening to other people's advice. That's the first thing. The second, look at your buffet, look at your options, and if you need to taste something, then taste something. If you work hard, if you feel that you've got to switch, then you have to switch. Right now, young people have so many opportunities, especially young lawyers, but all young people. We've reached a stage in Singaporean society where young people are very qualified, they are well-spoken, 
they are well aware of the world. And so they will choose. We old people, boomers, like to compare any generation to their own generation and say, look, in my time, I stayed in <laughs> yes. the same company for 40 years and blah, 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 blah. Dude, you stayed in the same company for 40 years because you had no options. Mm. So don't make a virtue out of necessity. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate that young people today, they're a lot smarter, they are a lot more well-aware, and the world is different. Mm. So if people stay in the same company for four years, not 40 years, that's because they're tasting their buffet. So you eat your plate and let other people eat their plate. Right. Okay, we want to get your views a little bit about leadership. If I'm not wrong, you were actually vice president of the law shop for some time. So what changes when you are now right at the top? What happens to how people treat you? Is there a difference? So what I learned is that there are a few kinds of leaders. There is the leader that leads by example. Let's say in a football team where he's the best footballer and the way he plays inspires all his teammates to follow suit. He doesn't have to say things. He just puts in a lot of effort and by his example inspires others. Then there's the second kind of leader, which is the administrator. So that person stands by the sidelines, is not on the field, mm. but is a great manager. He says, so you go here, now you go there. Okay, and when this happens, you all go this way. And that's a leader, that's an administrator, very important type of leader. And then there's another kind of leader, the leader that inspires, the leader that says, okay, guys, we're down by one goal, but you know what? We've won this before against this team. Mm. We can do it. Go all out. And then we win. And that's a leader that inspires. I'm not the first two kinds of leaders. Mm. I'm terrible at administrating. <laughs> but I care about people. Right. And I like to make people remember why we're all here on this earth, in this mm. society. When I became president, I said, I want lawyers to be social influencers. Mm. Not to sell makeup or handbags but to sell the law, right. to help society understand why law is important, why every part of our life is touched by the law, and what it is that lawyers do. Mm. So I began writing about legal issues, like 377A, mm. like having cats in HDB flats, to show that law touches all of us. Right. And then I began writing about lawyers who do pro bono work. Mm. That means volunteer work for people who are needy, who can't afford lawyers. Right. And I tell their stories to show how injustice is overturned, mm. how lives are changed by lawyers who are selfless. That's my main role, to be the lawyer who is an influencer. Right. Are you seeing the kind of effect that you're driving towards? I love it. I'm seeing that effect, Adrian. And I'm not going to take any credit for it. Mm. I'm just one of the large crowd of lawyers who are now finding their voice in Singapore and coming forward to educate, to question and to discuss. So if we have important social issues, there's always a legal dimension. We must have a legal perspective. Coming back a little bit to leadership, you must have worked under several leaders. Whenever we look at Adam Grant or Ray Dalio, you get a pithy tweet about what makes a good leader, like put people first, be open, be present, etc. My thinking is that we have to be realistic. Not everybody's perfect. Some are okay. Some leaders are good. Maybe not great, good enough. What did you learn from the leaders you worked for? 
Yes, that's a question that I ask myself even today. Mm. I think the first thing a leader has to do is to be authentic. That means the leader has to know himself or herself what the personality is. Mm. There are many leaders who fake it, who try and copy other people. Mm. I had a very strong leader. He was very tough. He was very smart. He was brilliant in the way he talked. Everybody in his team wanted to be like him. So they started being very fierce, trying to talk like him, <laughs> trying to imitate his voice, his mannerisms. That's not how it's going to work. Yeah. Because you're not authentic to yourself. Yeah. The leader was being himself. And what you have to do is not imitate or copy that person, but learn that that person is successful because that person has come to terms with his strengths and weaknesses. Mm. So as a leader, first thing I would say is you come to terms with your own strengths and weaknesses. And the second thing is you then have to look at your team and understand their strengths and weaknesses. Right. Everyone tells you all the time when they talk to you how they want to be controlled. What does that mean? When you talk to somebody, that person tells you what's important to him. Mm. And that person tells you what he wants from you. If only you would listen. And if you listen, you can take that information and you can use it for the benefit of the relationship. Mm, mm, That's mm. what a leader has to do, right. has to listen. So good communication, basically, and be open and honest. Uh, Crispina, I'm going to say something controversial. Don't be open and honest. Oh. Yes. What? Do not. Why? <laughs> do not. Do not, do not. Be sensitive. Mm. The thing about humans is that we can't handle the truth. If we're dealing with our strengths and people tell us, you're so good in this, you're so good in that. Oh, I love to hear it. Oh, so nice. Please tell me more. But if people tell me my weaknesses in a blunt and unvarnished way, mm. in an honest way, you know, I'm going to fight back. I'm going to be very resistant. Mm. And what I learned being a leader is that I can't just go around telling people, hey, you guys are not doing this well. Hey, you know what your problem is? They will never listen to me. Right. Of course, you may say, oh, you know, your tone is not nice. Right. Maybe if you have a sweet tone, they'll listen to you. Not really. Mm. No, mm. human beings are not that dumb. They can see through my packaging. If I tell people something unpleasant about themselves, if I'm honest, then they will fight back. So a leader has to train and change his team without hurting their feelings. And that's the toughest part. So you got to know yourself, right. you got to know your team, and you got to mold them and change them without hurting their feelings. With kindness, not with cruelty. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay. Before we let you go today, we would like to anoint you King of Singapore. Ooh. What are some of the work-related degrees will you pass today? Well, the first thing is that we should have four-day week. What? So when I started working, we worked on Saturdays as well. And sometimes I wonder, why do we have a seven-day week? Why do we have that magic number? There's no reason. I think people like to work whenever they work, and they should stop after a while. A four-day work week, that would be number one. Number two is, if people are sick, they should just call in sick. They don't need an MC. Yay. I know, it's weird. We trust our employees to operate very expensive equipment to make tough decisions. But when they call in sick, we say, hey, can you go to the clinic downstairs and get an MC? <laughs> yes. Come on, dude. This is the 21st century. Right. We have to start trusting people more. Mm. Those are the two key decrees. And of course, cats to be allowed in HDB flats. Okay, yes. 
<laughs> I'm assuming you are a cat owner. No, I don't have a cat. Oh? I just feel it's a very unfair law. It irks me that dogs are allowed in HDB flats, but not cats. Yeah. There's a whole program I can do on why that's uh, racially problematic and culturally problematic. <laughs> not to mention there are similarities between that and 377A. Oh my god, that sounds so fun. Cat discrimination. That will be part two of our conversation <laughs> with you. Yes, which is yes, coming cats very and gays. Oh my god. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed our chat with the ever-amazing Adrian Tan, writer, lawyer, leader, husband and true king of people's hearts. If this is your first episode of Work It, we would like to suggest to you to check out our previous episodes on toxic colleagues, the tension around hybrid working and tackling burnout. The team behind this podcast comprises of the hard-working crew of Joanne Chan, Jacqueline Chan and Daniel Lee. I'm Crispina Robert. And I'm Adrian Tan, the Hitraga. 